The following podcast is sponsor content. Courage, the strength to carry on, the willingness to make yourself vulnerable in the face of potential loss, embarrassment, or hardship, the openness to challenge, and the love of meeting challenge head on. Courage is one of the building blocks of growth and is at the core of success. And this podcast is an exploration of what courage looks like and feels like and what it means in our lives every day. Welcome to Points of Courage. My name is Jessica Jackley, and in 2005, I co-founded a nonprofit, Kiva, the world's first online person-to-person lending platform. In other words, on Kiva, people around the world can come to the site, look at profiles of entrepreneurs, and lend $25 or more to those individuals, and they get paid back. When we began, we started out trying to raise just over $3,000 for a handful of entrepreneurs in Uganda. And truth be told, we had no idea what we were doing, and very few people believed that we could do it. I was working in a country whose language I didn't speak and with rules and institutions that I didn't fully understand, but I was fueled by a drive to help the entrepreneurs I had gotten to know there. Their courage inspired me, so much so that I found my own courage to start Kiva. Almost 11 years later, Kiva's growth and impact continue to amaze me, and, and still every day I'm inspired by the entrepreneur's stories on the website. And the experience of founding Kiva has propelled me forward, launching several other ventures, all focused on promoting entrepreneurship. In this podcast, we're going to have real conversations with small business owners who use their own courage to build something special. I'm excited to share with you stories of entrepreneurial spirit and acts of courage, big and small, that can inspire us all. This podcast is brought to you by Hiscox Insurance. They specialize in customized insurance for small businesses of all size. You can learn more at hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X. Hiscox, encourage courage. This week, I'm excited to introduce an individual who has taken it upon herself to teach parents, educators, first responders, heck, even dogs, sign language. Her business has changed the way families and towns can take care of and communicate with people with access and functional needs, including individuals within the autistic community. The Wonder Woman behind all of this is Louise Mason Sattler, and today we'll talk with her about why she does what she does, how her company went from a door-to-door DVD-selling business to one that has shaped the environment of entire communities and towns, and where she finds the courage to keep going. Hi, Louise. How are you, Jessica? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being with us today. And thanks so much for inviting me. Louise, can you tell us a little bit about American Sign Language, or ASL? Well, first off, people think American Sign Language is just English on your hands, and nothing Mm. could be further from the truth. In fact, if you go to England, they don't even use American Sign Language. Do you know how frustrating that is to be in the (laughs) motherland in London and not being able to (laughs) converse with deaf people? But we actually stole it from the French along with fine wine and croissants. And so the word order is That's the trifecta, right? That's the trifecta. Wine, croissants, and And ASL. ASL. (laughs) Right. So sign language sort of switched over the years. And you see, I'm signing now. Once you get me talking about sign language, I the love hands it. just I know start moving. I have the benefit of being here with you live. And exactly. I did my little homework before this. It's the fourth most common language in the U.S., which that blew me away. It's, and you want amazing. me to tell you the other three? I know yeah. this is a quiz. Okay, go, go. So because I knew that. Okay, the first me. one, of course, is English. <laughs> Second one is Se Habla Espanol. And the third one is Chinese. Wow. And so sign language kind of kicked German 
Oh, okay. And French to the street just a little bit. Sorry. Well, that's fantastic. It is. It's exciting. It even has in most states the popularity now of being accepted as a foreign language in high schools and in colleges, which is fabulous. So I think what's important is that ASL used to be kind of in the closet, and Mm -hmm. now it's everywhere, and and because of the awareness, is much more accepted. Well, I would love to move on to understanding Signing Families' founding story. How did you first get involved with signing and with ASL? I had roommates in college, and they were learning to sign. They were education majors. And we would go out, you know, to the clubs, and they'd be signing. I'm like, "Uh, no, you're not going to be doing that talking with your hands, and I'm not going to know what you're saying. (laughs) So I took a sign language class, and then I took another, and then I took another. And before you knew it, I was proficient, and they forgot everything they learned. Oh, no. But then fast forward, I became a school psychologist and worked in a school for the deaf and then worked in other school settings. And we would always sit around the table and say to parents, for instance, with children with autism, your child could probably benefit from learning manual communication because they're having problems producing speech. Mm -hmm. So maybe this would be a really good avenue. Would you like to take some sign language classes? And then the moms, almost always it was a mom at this meeting. Okay. She would turn and look at us in the face and say, you just finished telling me that my child needed a one-on-one assistant and I don't have the funds to A, take a class and B, get a babysitter for my special needs child. So I went home feeling really sad time after time. And I said to my husband, let's let me just put like a hundred words on a on a DVD, you right, know, or, right. or a CD at the time, and just film me using our big camera back then, right, you know, those right. big cameras. And put me on tape and then I'll I'll make a few copies and we'll give it to these parents. And we did. What did that look like for you? Can you take us through the initial steps? Like, it looked pretty cheap because I had a very small budget. <laughs> it's scrappy. It's cool. It's your lean startup. It's good. Yeah. So what I did was I painted in our living room with suede paint blue. So it looked like a blue screen. Oh. And and it looked very professional. So you professional. changed your living room wall yes. to this blue so that you could do these videos. Yes. Amazing. That's commitment. Uh, Well, and it looked really good, so it stayed. Good, good, good. And then I hired a photographer or videographer who I knew that did bar mitzvah videos and wedding videos. Okay. And I said, well, can you do this? And he charged me a really great price because I wasn't expecting very much. And then we just put 100 plus signs and I explained it. And then I did them in Spanish. I did a portion in Spanish. And then I edited it with his help and we open captioned it. Amazing. And how many did you produce in the first run? And what what did you do after that? Well, you the had first, your first run, few. I think I made about 500. Okay. And so I started to sell them on eBay and I started to go door to door and knock, please, little bookstore, can you have my DVDs? And then I would just cold call every single publication that I knew had special education materials Mm -hmm. or young children's materials because this particular DVD was called Baby Toddler and Preschool Sign Language with Louise Mason Sattler and Friends. And it was little kids and it showed mom and little kids at the beginning signing. It was so cute. So then what happened was this one guy had a son who was autistic. Hmm. And he said, Listen. one of the people that associated I was with cold, your cold call, calls, though. like who one was in quarters or something like that. Yeah. And it was some publication that was supposed to disseminate videos, some video okay. house. And he said, Listen, I'm going to give you the name of this guy. I'm going to give you a code word because when you use this code word, he'll know that it actually was me and that I really did vet you. Wow. So I okay. called this guy 
And before I knew it, my videos were in Barnes and Noble, Borders, FYE, and all these different chains, including Walmart online. Yeah, yeah. I went from, you know, please, sir, can you put this in your store to sending out thousands. Unbelievable. The success, the success story that we can hear now as we look back. I can imagine at the time there were moments when you felt like, I mean, I think all entrepreneurs feel this. You start to doubt, you start to question and say, wait, am I crazy? Was there actually as large of a market here as I thought there was? Well, Did I had I do 500 the right DVDs right. In, the, in the garage going, well, so would and please a new buy blue one. wall, a new blue wall. That which was the least was great. of my problems. But 500 DVDs at least. Yeah. Like, and and just looking, will anyone buy it from eBay? Will anyone? And When did you first start to consider yourself an entrepreneur? I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> I've been actually called the accidental entrepreneur. So have I in Be- the past. But because I, I didn't know I was an entrepreneur. I was a psychologist who had an idea. Luckily, people like the idea. But what I really think is that I'm never confident that I'm an entrepreneur when I look at all these great entrepreneurs. But then I look back and I go, yeah, I built a business. You are. You are. And I, I did a pretty decent job. I am obsessed with this one definition of entrepreneurship. It's Howard Stevenson, a Harvard Business School professor. And he says, entrepreneurship is the pursuit of opportunity without regard to resources currently controlled. And it's a little stodgy sounding, but I this, love it. This, this definition is so romantic to me because I just picture this person, and I think you embody this, like pursuing this idea that they have, pursuing this opportunity that they see without regard to, yes, resources currently controlled and air quotes here <laughs> for anybody mm-hmm. listening. But that can be, I think, anything along the way that could stand in your path, that could stand in the way of you pursuing that vision and running after it. So it's about the pursuit, not the possessions. Mm-hmm. Again, I I think you embody this. You may be able to put seeds of doubt out there, but you've decided to sort of put those aside and ignore them and keep going anyway. There are a lot of components that make a great entrepreneur. And some people are self-motivated and they don't seek nor need the assistance of others. I am blessed in that I have a husband that said, go for it. And was my motivation and said, mm-hmm. you know, Honey, I think you need to go into a studio and make this, or it's in huge. our case, the living room and paint the wall. Right. That's a big deal. That That's is a really big deal. big deal. Because there were uh, women entrepreneurs who say, okay, my husband's not supportive. I've got, and they still have these great ideas. They sure. have books full of great ideas and sure. they don't pursue them. I'd like to hone in on sort of the, you know, the theme of this podcast, or these points of courage, these moments of courage. Is there a singular moment that you can think of where to you, you felt like, that word courage really defined what you had to draw on, what you had to bring to the table to get through it. There's a lot it was there, of moments. Right. There's lots of moments that sort of push us, right? And as entrepreneurs to tap into this inner strength. Well, there was one time in particular where I just, I walked down and I said, oh, maybe this is the end. And so I decided to invest in getting a PR firm. Okay. And they did fairly well for me for a couple events and booked me. But then they booked me at a regional bookstore by a big name that we will all know, but I won't say it out loud. <laughs> and, you know, I was invited to go and, and kind of read a story in sign language. And then they were going to put me at a table. And they put me at a table in the back near the bathrooms by the book bags. Mm. So people thought I worked for this bookstore and they kept saying, ma'am, can you tell me where to find ma'am? Do you know? Because I look like I was the help. And I walked out of there. I didn't sell one DVD because no one knew where to find me after story time because right. I was brought down to, you know, basically the bathroom right. lobby. Right. And it was like, oh, you know, maybe it's this isn't going to work. Right. But then you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you move it on. Right, right. The courage part came with saying, okay, this didn't work. 
maybe we don't need that PR team. Maybe we need something else because doing more of the same that doesn't work isn't a good mm-hmm, business plan. Mm-hmm. How have you thought about risk? How have you thought about it and identified it and then weighed the risks? The risk actually, quite frankly, comes with what I did. So when you're a hearing person in a sign language world, Mm -hmm. you have the risk of it not being your first language and not being your culture. Oh, wow. So I created a business as a hearing person. Right. And that every day still takes courage because there's always someone who can say, you don't sign well enough. You didn't do it right. This isn't good. This isn't good enough. You don't really know us. You You don't don't really really know know what it's like to, you know, experience it as a parent or as a, a, a person that, it struggles with this or anything. Right. That is the biggest risk I had to take was to sort of say, I know sign language. I know language. I know child right. development. And I know what parents need because I've had over a thousand meetings with parents. Right. So I think I got that down. Right. So that is what takes courage for me is yes. to step into a culture or a community And I've been very blessed in that 99% of the people have embraced and don't see me as trying to take someone's job or anything because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not addressing that. Well, that balance, that, that confidence that you bring, but balance with the humility to know what you know and what you don't and to be able to ask the people you're serving when you need to ask. I think you do that very well. Okay. So yeah. So then tell us what happened post 9-11. So 9-11, my brother was in lower Manhattan and thankfully was okay. His office used to be in the World Trade Center. He had moved it shortly before 9-11 happened. Wow. But during that time, there was an experience of the deaf people in lower Manhattan that did not parallel the experience my brother had, who was able to get help and able to be guided where to go to be returned home safely. Then there was the experience of my deaf friends in the D.C. area who, again, communication was off because first responders did not necessarily know how to convey more than just pointing Mm. where to go and what to do and what was happening. You can imagine the mayhem. So my deaf friends and some of my students, by then I was teaching at a community college, sign language, they were like, you should put together another DVD, another series to address the needs for first responders. So I went down to my local firehouse and said, so guys, gals, what do you think? Should I do this? And they said, yeah, what do you want on it? So they said, quick, 20 minutes. So it's 22 minutes long. They wanted Spanish. So it's in both Spanish and English, open caption in both languages. They wanted a little card that they could put into their uniforms that had the most pertinent words that you would need to convey immediately before an interpreter could arrive to get even more information Mm -hmm. for someone who's deaf. They wanted it with words and they wanted the alphabet and some numbers. And with that, I was like a card. You know how much it's going to cost me to put a card into a DVD every time I have to put this together? I'm going to, that's an expensive thing. Well, you should always go with your audience right? because that card put two kids through college. <laughs> smart. It was very smart. smart. So what I did was after it was all packaged, I sent it to every child. Emergency responders have national groups and they okay. have the head of emergency responders or mental health and health wellness, whatever. Every state calls it something different. So I sent it to the top people in right. every state right. for children. With a handwritten letter that explained that this was not only to help the deaf community, but people who were autistic, people who were in the Spanish-speaking community. 
And I didn't know they were all getting together in a regional conference. And one person actually brought the materials I sent. And another was your ambassador. And and, well, apparently someone else said, oh, I just got that too. And the orders just started to come in after that. Fantastic. And then the requests for speaking engagements as to the story and and why I put it together and uh, how, how people can physically help someone what you know the nuances of helping someone with autism during an emergency the things people should know well so tell me about this i i find that broad worlds often open up through a very small aperture this focus and mm-hmm. you had such a focus in the beginning it was that mm-hmm. you know that mom that you were sitting with exactly but there's been this broad far-reaching response from many different communities can you tell me a little bit more about that and what you think is so resonant with people well i think with the first responder group they would do anything to help save lives yeah so if learning 10 signs or learning 50 signs helps to save a life, they are willing and motivated to do that, including your CERT teams, your community emergency response right. teams, those amazingly brave people who respond voluntarily. Right. Then I think parents are very motivated to do whatever it is that their children need. And I think grandparents are hopping on board to do whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. So there's no longer that generational gap. And- People just like sign language. They think it's cool. Imagine you can sign to your child like I did across a soccer field where the car is parked and not have to compete in the screaming at the end of a soccer game with 50 other moms. Oh, that sounds nice. Now you're you're talking right to me here. (laughs) I need to prepare for the future with my boys. Yeah, (laughs) We got to roll with the times here. Well, so you seem very responsive to not just, you know, the environment and the trends that are happening, but also these stories of interacting directly with customers and asking them what they needed. I'm very impressed with the fact that you went to the local fire station and said, okay, if I do this, would you use it? What would you want on it? How do you still do that today? And how else have you had to respond to the demands and the desires of customers and just sort of the communities that you serve? Welcome to the land of social media. Uh (laughs) So I have a very robust page on Facebook. And actually, I was just verified. That's the big check, people. If you're right, in the social, the check. It, well, the oh. for business, it's like a great check. It's oh. like a yeehaw <laughs> versus a woo. Um, <laughs> so, signing families is on Facebook, and I do put it out there. What is it that you want to see? So, last year, I did 31 days of sign language, 31 oh, different great. days in a calendar year in which I put out a sign language word, and people responded fairly well to that. I tend to do a lot of guest speaking. So people like to book me and and they have booked me through social media events. Nice. So um, my business model has, due to social media, taken on new horizons, but very exciting and actually not so new anymore, but every day is a different thing. So I periscope in sign language. I was going to ask about that. That's great. I periscope, you know, and and, uh, I've done Vine. Vine is not long enough. By the time I got my hands up, it's done six (laughs) seconds, you know, whoop, gone. if you want to stay competitive, you have to stay knowledgeable. Yep. Do you think that anybody can decide to become an entrepreneur? No. Tell me why. No, I don't think anybody can be an entrepreneur. I think there are people who their egos won't fit in the door mm. and they don't make good entrepreneurs because they only want to talk, not listen. Mm. I think when you're an entrepreneur, you need to listen first and need to take sound advice from good mentors. I love the decisiveness and the clarity of your answer. I ask that question a lot and I haven't heard that, but I think you're correct. I think ego is a big barrier for people. And thinking you know it all. Mm. And I think that if you're going to advance in in your life, no matter what stage you're at, you need to be willing to listen and to learn Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. talk and tell. I mean, could is there a mic drop function here? We get? Mm-hmm. 
I, if, if I could take a little story Go here. Go for it. Okay. Please, please. So after the terrible tornadoes that hit Moore, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, and Norman, Oklahoma, I had ironically been scheduled to do a disaster preparedness sign language AFN, Access and Functional Needs Workshop at the School for the Deaf in Oklahoma. It just happened that this terrible tragedy happened just a few weeks before. So I went and I gave a lot of materials to FEMA and to the Red Cross because there were 40 deaf families that ended up in shelters or families Mm -hmm. with children with autism. So I went ahead of time to sort of help out and supply them with materials and survey the area myself. And it was devastation. Just it, it broke my heart. And then I went to the Oklahoma School for the Deaf, and a lot of those people, their families had lost their homes, some new people who lost their lives. Mm -hmm. And we all had a little cry fest. But at the end, there was a representative from one of the Native American nations, and she came up and she gave me a necklace. Mm -hmm. And she signed to me that I have a deaf heart. And, And that's when I said, yes, this is the moment that defines all the hard work, all of the battles or courage I needed. This is the moment that made it all worthwhile. Oh, I love that. I and love so that story. I have that necklace and I treasure it as much as any fine piece of jewelry. Of course. Wow. That says so much for how well you have done understanding the people that you want to serve in the community that you serve. Yeah. So thank you. Thank That's you. That's incredible. On a personal note of my own, it's so resonant, that description that you have of knowing who you are and knowing who you're not and knowing what aspects you have you bring, what experience you bring from your own life and knowing what is you know, unique to each person that you have to just hope they can help you understand. Well, their story isn't my story, but I would like people to understand the story and to be able to help people in those communities. What advice do you have for somebody who needs a little bit of courage right now, either starting their own business or maybe they're just in a tough moment of their journey? You have to have the courage to admit you don't know it all. And you can and should ask. Mm. There are resources out there. There are people who care. They may not live with you. They may not be in your posse of friends, but they're there. You can find them. You can find them. Very good advice. Well, Luis, I can't thank you enough for being here with us. Thank you so, so much. I'm really looking forward to sharing your story with the world. Jessica, this has been a lot of fun. And uh, thanks. Thanks for everything. My favorite part about Louise was her clear passion, not just for communication, but for connecting people through communication. Obviously, the language of choice for her is American Sign Language, but you could tell that even outside of that, she found a lot of meaning and purpose in her life trying to help people understand one another. And I think that core, that passion for communication, is what sort of infuses everything that she's done. I loved communicating with her. I absolutely have a handful of people in my head after having heard her story and learning more about what she does that I have to evangelize to about her work and about what she provides. That's it for this episode of Points of Courage. I'm Jessica Jackley. Thank you for listening.